Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Tip of the Iceberg podcast, brought to you as always by InsideThePenguins.com, a proud affiliate of the Hockey News. I'm your host, Nick Berlansky, joined as always by Nick Horwat and the Pittsburgh Penguins, currently winners of three of their last four contests. Have they turned the corner? We'll answer just that question a little bit later in today's episode. We're also going to talk a little bit about Valtteri Pustinen, one of my personal favorite prospects coming from the Pittsburgh Penguins over the last couple of years, and he is certainly impressing in his first stint of the 2023-24 season. Can he stick at the NHL level? We'll discuss that as well. But let's start here because the Pittsburgh Penguins got some very positive news as for the holidays, what they asked for and what they received early as a Christmas present is that their injury report shrinks. Three players return to action against the Minnesota Wild. Penguins end up with a 4-3 to three victory. I think each of these three players, Ricard Raquel, Nolachari, and Chad Ruweedle, each played a role in that victory for the Pittsburgh Penguins. Yeah, it's good to see them back. It's good to get players back. I think each of them helped in their own way. Uh, if anything, Chad Ruweedle helped in getting another face into that third pairing to see if that someone can claim the spot, much like Kyle Dubas wants someone to do to step in and run away with uh, a solid, uh, with the definite staying in that role, in that position, because that third pairing is still kind of a jump ball. It's still anyone's position. I know they just placed uh, Ryan Shan waivers, but um, it's still anyone's position. I was thinking about this... Um, Yesterday, what was I doing yesterday? Coming home from morning skate. Uh, there are legitimately six options in the AHL right now without Ryan Shea there that have NHL experience on defense. I don't know how common that is for your AHL squad, um, but the fact that all six of the six defensemen down there have some sort of NHL experience, whether it is a lot or a little, uh, that's something. So that's we thought last year's logjam was something. This is uh, this feels different, does it not? At least to me, it does feel different to me. I mean, personally, because last year you had Jan Ruda and you couldn't do yeah. anything with Jan Ruda. You couldn't send him down. This year, you could send all four of the defensemen down that started the season as the third pairing options. You could bring up, you know, Jack Rathbone and and Ty Smith or Taylor Fadoon or Xavier Willette. There's so many names down there, like you mentioned, and I think it's interesting too to to follow along with this third pairing. It was okay when it was Ryan Shea and John Ludwig for that long extended period of time, but what you're seeing now is the underlying numbers for Ludwig and Joseph were astronomical. They were great over that three-game stretch, but then you see something as far as a 7 to nothing loss on Saturday to the Toronto Maple Leafs happen, and yeah, you're going to say, all right, we're going to need to experiment with some things, not to say that it was, it was of any fault of P.O. Joseph and when it came to John Ludwig as well, because their numbers stayed pretty consistent throughout the that game as well, but you have to know if those numbers elevated because of P.O. Joseph or if they elevated just simply because John Ludwig wasn't playing with Ryan Shea. So the only way you could do that is introduce another you know element to this, which was Chad Ruweedle, which I do think is an interesting interesting pairing in it in a, in and of itself because I think overall Ludwig and Ruweedle combined are probably the most physical you can get out of those four players when it comes to defensive and, and defending your own zone. Yeah, they are. That's exactly what they are. And those six defenders in the AHL system, it's just hilarious because they could literally throw out six NHL-ready defensemen. NHL-ready, by the way, is a big asterisk because one of them is Semerukov, who only has like three games 
handful of games in the NHL. Yeah. Um, and was a healthy scratch his entire time up here with the Penguins. And Taylor Fredoon is also one of them who, journeyman, but played a handful last year but just isn't fitting that role. There's Xavier Ouellette, Ty Smith, Jack Rathbone. I mentioned Sam Rukoff and Taylor Fredoon already. And Will Butcher. That's a starting lineup right there for the AHL. Um, Jack St. Ivany is there too, but still earning that NHL role. So the third pairing, uh, like you said, it is the logjam is still there. It's a much more flexible logjam, though. Yeah. Um, but it does still feel like it needs to be relieved almost because we're flying guys through waivers. We're healthy scratching quality players. It's going to get interesting real soon. The roster freezes today, tonight, I should say. Don't yeah. think anything will happen, but, I mean... People are already are already discussing the Penguins as one of the most interesting teams to watch going into the trade deadline, and the the struggles continue. They absolutely will be. Yeah, I mean it's interesting too because you don't know whether or not they're going to sell or they're going to buy. I would highly doubt they're going to sell. I mean this can go into the the Penguins turning yeah. the corner, but how are you going to sell after going out and getting Eric Carlson in August? Like especially with with Crosby and Malkin and Latang and and all of the the you know the talk surrounding them wanting one last run. There's no way that you could possibly sell. Now you might be able to be in a similar situation to the the Washington Capitals where you do sell off some pieces, but you try to bring back players and pieces and flexibility that can create a little bit of a, of a step forward by subtraction almost and, and that open space and be able to like replace it. But it's, it's going to be very intriguing to see what Kyle Dubas does. Cause this is also his first year with the Penguins organization. He's already made that one big stamp of approval. This is my team now move, which was the Eric Carlson trade. But you know, does he have another one in him during the regular season? That's what we're not sure of. You know, is he going to go out and pay a premium price? Because the Penguins are already down one of their first two first-round picks over the next two years because of that Carlson deal. So, you know, what are they willing to get rid of? What do they have to get rid of? Because the cabinet in the AHL, while it looks better now than it did in the past, it's still not something that you're going to want to sit there and trade a bunch of assets away from because there's not really much there to trade. Yeah, it's... There's not many assets to give away unless you want to completely bottom out. So that'll be just fascinating to see in the next couple of weeks. Yeah. You know, I mean, things got to turn around, that's for sure. I'm not sure what his, you know, level of, of intrigue is around the league, but Chad Ruedel, you know, people forget that he has been a solid NHL defenseman for what, seven years for the Pittsburgh Penguins, at least. And then a couple years before that with the Buffalo Sabres, you look at his performance last night, just a hair under 10 minutes of ice time in his first game back played over two minutes on the penalty kill. I thought he had a pretty solid game. Nothing really negative to take away from it, but he was also sheltered a little bit in the minutes. Him and Ludwig didn't get a lot of ice time last night because of all the penalties that were happening. Um, if it wasn't for the penalties the Penguins were taking, Ruedel probably would have had like seven minutes of ice time because he had, like I mentioned, two minutes, I think two minutes, 15 seconds on the kill last night. Yeah, it was a lot of penalties last night, but it's it, it's good to see him back. One of the most reliable you know, bottom pairing defensemen you'll have. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I feel like we got off on a tangent a little bit there considering I mean, the topic. But hey, it's part of it's going to be huge discussions that will continue to be had for the next few weeks. Mm-hmm. These are all... Um, interesting things to especially after that uh that seven nothing loss these are going to all be interesting things to keep an eye on i think you know i don't you know, it's clear no one was happy after that loss we're going to i'm sure discuss more of it in the third segment so yeah. we'll, 
We'll side table so many things for right now. Yeah, the one thing we were talking about there is the penalty kill. Another important name for the penalty kill is Nolachari. Seeing yeah. him get back into the lineup, he missed the last seven games with a lower body injury. The last game that he had played was the last game the Penguins played in the month of November. The calendar turned to December, and up until last night, the Penguins were the 28th ranked penalty kill in the National Hockey League. Before Nolachari went down, they were top 10 in the National Hockey League. Not that they're total season is down to 28th but in mm -hmm. December that's where they were and he comes back in and all of a sudden penalty kill looked pretty good last night against the Minnesota Wild it's a one game sample size but three for three and and three important kills for the Pittsburgh Penguins Nolachari was a big part of that and I thought in general Nolachari looked good just even at five on five as well 57% of the shot attempts 66% of the shots and 82% of the expected goals uh, fourth line looked pretty good last night and I think a big part of that was Nolachari Big healthy hit too, in uh, the third period, I believe, yeah. whatever that was. Um, yeah, th this this team loves his game too. It's Nolachari, uh, obviously, is a difference maker on the penalty kill. I asked Mike Sullivan about what Achari could bring back to this lineup and what he's thought of his game so far because it's you know one of the, still one of those new players that we're still kind of learning about. Yeah. Um, and without hesitation, you know, Sullivan said, "I love his game. It's the kind that he plays the kind of game that Mike Sullivan loves, which is that, you know." defensive-minded, can chip in on occasion sort of fourth-line role guy. He's perfect for Mike Sullivan's system, especially when the depth doesn't score as much. You know, we're not expecting too much offense from Nolachari, but that's kind of going to fit here. Mm -hmm. You're not worried about canning him because he's not scoring. He's playing defense. He's doing the right things. He's throwing the body around. He might still lead the team in hits. I have to check that again. Um, but he's playing exactly the way Mike Sullivan wants him. Yeah, Mike Sullivan said, I love his game. I think he brings us a lot of Jews hard to play against and loves using that line of being, being hard to play against. So does every NHL coach, though. Yeah. Um, but he's per And he really is hard to play against. He I is. mean, that hit in itself was a good showing of it. Um, and just getting the opportunities that he gets. I mean, he started fine. He found a couple of goals or something like that before he left. So there's plenty of upside to... Uh, Nolachari and him being around for this season and two more after. You know, you, you don't normally think of your fourth line guys as guys you have around for a long time, but I mean, Pittsburgh got used to it with Teddy Bluger, and now Nolachari is kind of stepping in as more of a veteran face for that. Yeah, and I mentioned the fourth line itself looked good. So the penalty kill, obviously, a huge bump getting Nolachari back. He's great in the faceoff dot. He blocks shots. He's physical. He's just generally a good penalty killer. But I thought the fourth line looked pretty good. I said last night on my Iceberg recap, that was the best I've seen Jansen Harkins play. Now, let's also remember the Minnesota Wild are a much slower when it comes to foot speed team than a lot of the NHL, especially some of these teams that are coming up on the schedule, your Carolina Hurricanes, your, I'm, I'm blanking on who else is coming up on the schedule. Obviously, the Islanders are coming up on the schedule. They're mm -hmm. not the biggest foot speed team, but like players like Matt Barzell. But I thought Harkins looked good last night. Now, was that a result of playing with Nolachari? I thought Carter looked good last night. I thought he was strong on the puck. The only time he wasn't strong on the puck is when Ryan Graves fed him that slot pass, where if he would have had just a little bit more of a, of a firm grip on his stick, it might have deflected into the back of the net, and it might have been a completely different story in that game, because I think it was 3-1 to one at that point. It would have made it 4-1. to one. Uh, I might be misremembering, but still. I thought the fourth line in general played a pretty good game last night, and, and that's something that, hey, they might not score in every game, but if they're going out there and they're taking control of 80% of the scoring chances when they're on the ice, then you're pretty happy about that. 
Yeah. One thing people probably don't want to hear is how Mike Je- how Jeff Carter has actually looked decent. Good. Last couple games. I'll yeah. say good. He he's That's... looked good. He's doing you know he's he's playing his role to a T. His role's not what it's gonna what it was when he first came to the Penguins, which was scoring goals in a third line role. But he's starting to find his rhythm as a fourth liner, something that he hasn't done in his NHL career before. Yeah, it's it. What's really impressive about the way the Penguins are utilizing him too is, I mean, we lost the Penguins have lost. Uh, Nola Chario injury, mm-hmm. and they didn't move Carter to center. They said, no. you're staying in your spot. I think that was huge in terms of um, letting Carter continue to mold into this role. Mm-hmm. Let him finish off his career in at least a positive light. Again, he doesn't have to score every game. He doesn't have to be that offensive juggernaut that he seemed to be for some reason <laughs> when he yeah. first arrived. Mm-hmm. Now it is he can settle into this full 200-foot game player that will chip in on occasion mm-hmm. is going to be in that front presence on the second power play unit for the 45 seconds to 30 seconds that it's out there. Mm-hmm. It's been... He's been taking steps in the proper direction, and, you know, he doesn't take as many face-offs, but for the ones that he does, 65% right now. Yeah. So, um, he's definitely in a new role and playing much, much better than he did last year. Yeah. Uh, and that's, I mean, it's not saying much. No, but I was about to say the bar is, for that is pretty low, but he 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 does look better. Yeah, it's that is a that is a feather in the cap for Carter, but also the coaching staff for continuing to use him in the proper role. Like I said, they threw John Gruden up there instead of him as fourth line center. Yeah, so it'll be fun to see if he's able to continue this pace. Obviously, we're less than a week removed from a two goal performance from Jeff Carter. Penguins are undefeated in games where Jeff Carter scores, so if he can continue that one going, that's going to be one of the fun stats to, to keep an eye on as the season progresses. Not that the Penguins' fourth line is by any means like solidified or solved or fixed in any any sense, but it's nice to see a performance like we did last night out of Achari, out of Harkins, and out of Carter. Penguins need more of that than less of that, and yes, eventually you're going to need them to chip in goals. If they don't, then that's still a problem, even if they're playing at that level, but you know you can't ask for more than that. Uh, from the fourth line, what you saw last night, a pretty solid game against the Minnesota Wild, at least defensively responsible. And they did create some offense last night, just not able to finish, which seems like the the story for the entire Pittsburgh Penguins roster. Speaking of unable to finish, did you know that Nolachari played more ice time last night than Ricard Raquel? That's an interesting little thing, because uh, um, when you think of the, the returns, Raquel is probably number one. Achari played 16-22, Raquel played 14-45 last night. That's that's interesting because every time Raquel was on the ice, I noticed him. Yeah. So that's there's true. that too. And there was the, the notice, the noticeableness of uh, Ricard Raquel, and what does that just have have a lot to do with the penalty kill? It does, and <laughs> the fact that the Penguins were also on the power play a lot. And Ricard Raquel does. You know, he's not on the top second power unit. play. He had a little bit of second power play minutes last night, but you know, you look at also when the power play is out there that long, how much is Crosby and Gensel going to be able to go back out there? So they probably missed a couple shifts because of that. Not to mention, we already talked about the fourth line playing well. So Mike Sullivan had some faith in his bottom six last night to be able to send them out there a little bit more often, especially when Crosby wasn't you know fully ready to go or just coming off a shift. They weren't going to double shift these guys um, until obviously it became three to three. And, and then you started to see Crosby get back out there a little bit more often. Pustin and Malkin start to get back out there a little bit more often. But you know, in general, the Penguins were able to roll four lines throughout most yeah. of last night's game. That's one thing I noticed after the first period. Actually, I was I noticed the line count or the shift count for the lines, and um, they were all relatively close. You could yeah. tell that 
there wasn't a, sh- a line that it was the first period, so that's kind of the time we are still rolling all four. Mm-hmm. But there wasn't you know the fourth line catching two shifts. It was everyone I think had at least three or four or five or something like that yeah. after the first period. They were all rolling over the boards. It was all four of them. And another thing for Raquel not getting the ice time. You also have to remember he's on the second power play. The top power play scored twice. Yeah. The power play scoring again, guys. I'm not going to say it's turned a corner yet. This sure seems it. He scored six in the last four. Mm-hmm. It's a much, much, much better than it was, you know, for not scoring for a month. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so, and Raquel being on the second line, he's not going to catch that ice time because that first unit takes up minute 45, minute mm-hmm. 30 every time. Yeah. So, I thought, you know, Raquel made a big point of saying this is a fresh start for me. I'm looking at this as basically the start of a new season, trying to leave that 17-game sample size in the past. He did, I think, look a little bit like he did in the first 17 games last night. But again, that's his first game in, what, over a calendar month after coming off of an upper body injury that who knows how long it was hampering him before that seemed like something that was nagging, something that, you know, it was weird because he had that full-time practice and usually... Penguins were like, all right, you had that full contact practice. Seems like you should be good to go. But they held him off on Saturday and let him get another practice under his belt. Let him see how he reacted to it. So who knows what the injury actually is. Yeah. But we'll see what he's able to do as as time goes on. But at least last night, it looked still kind of clunky. And the Penguins, obviously, first line was out there for two of the three goals against for the Minnesota Wild. Yeah, I love the mindset Raquel is pulling into this part to this portion of the season, which is the fresh start, the... Mm-hmm. Not worrying about what happened in the first 17 games. And, yeah, things are going to generally look the same because it's not like Raquel was... It's not like Raquel looked awful in those 17 games. For the most part, yeah. He just couldn't finish. He He was getting his opportunities. He just wasn't able to find the back of the net. He was one of the most consistent goal scorers last season. Mm -hmm. Um, But this time around, he just hasn't had the finishing ability. That's all it really has been because, like I said, his... Underlying numbers have been fine. That second line was still producing. I mean, Malkin and Smith were just firing at all cylinders, and mm-hmm. Raquel wasn't picking up any of the baggage. But it's not like he was playing at a pace where even where we would tell, where we would say he needs to be dropped, maybe sit in the press box once in a while, maybe to the third line. I think we may have thrown the third line option out there, but that's just because the production wasn't coming. Um, so he's gonna st- in the first game back. You're still gonna have that. Those, those jumps to sort of want to prove that you're back right now. Um, but you just still have to find the finish. And that'll come with relative time. I think it'll be a lot quicker this time around. I bet he scores before 14 games this time, I bet, or 17. Yeah, you would certainly hope so, because if he gets to that point, 34 games into the season, not a single goal, that's when you start to look at that and say, okay, how many teams are on your no-trade list there, Ricard? Uh, but no, I don't think I don't think we're close to that, and I don't think we're going to get close to that. I think he's probably going to find goals, especially playing with Sidney Crosby, who is just on another planet right now with the way that he's able to play, and so too is Jake Gensel, who notched his 20th assist of the season last night. Uh, impressive performances from those two on the power play last night. Hopefully that can roll over to 5-on-5 five five with Ricardo Kell as the season progresses, but we're going to take a quick break. We're going to talk about another right winger for the Pittsburgh Penguins. That's Valtteri Pustinen. He's been pretty impressive so far in his first stint of the 2023-24 season with the big club. Can he stick? That's the question that we will answer coming up after the break.
Welcome back to the Tip of the Iceberg podcast, brought to you as always by InsideThePenguins.com. If you've listened to this show long enough, you know that I've always had a, a, a soft spot for one Valtteri Pustinen, thinking that, hey, you know what? For the longest time, I was saying he has one, one assist in one game. He looked pretty good against Vegas. I'm not sure why they're not turning back to him. They didn't the entire season in 2022-23, despite his relatively impressive performance at the AHL level with the Wilkes-Barre Grant Penguins. Well, this season, out a couple of top six wingers, they turned to Valtteri Pustin, and he has been impressive to say the least during his first stint since 2022. Four assists now in five games, including his first multi-point performance of his young career last night against the Minnesota Wild, bringing life to the Penguins' second line and may have even woken up Evgeny Malkin from that little drought that he had at this last couple of weeks. So, Horwat, what have you thought about Valtteri Pustinen, especially after last night's performance where both of those assists were assists that you could give him basically, you know, a goal, like a goal practically because the net was wide open for Evgeny Malkin specifically. And you could tell Gino was very appreciative Mm -hmm. of that. And you could tell even after that, which is huge, Gino started to have a little bit more of that gallop after that goal went in. Even when the Penguins started to get, you know, give up goals and the game ended up tied, Evgeny Malkin, I thought, was noticeably better after that goal from, from you know, the pass from Pustin and scores the goal, which is great for the Penguins because they need Evgeny Malkin to, to get back on his horse. And he's starting to look like it, and it might be because of Pustin. Evgeny Malkin had one of, those, one of those quintessential Evgeny Malkin games, by the way. I know we're... Talk about Pustin, but Malkin, a goal and assist and four penalty minutes. Yeah, but the the one penalty was so weak. It was You're right. so You're weak. Right. Even Gino was just like, I don't even I don't even know what to say about that. That was him and Goligoski wrestling over the remote in the neutral zone. Like he was like, What am I supposed to do in that instance? He grabbed my arm and, and pulled me down for the two point takedown. Like I don't know what else to do in that situation. Speaking of penalties, how about him taking six in Toronto? Not again, not that we're Digging back any further, but taking <laughs> six penalty minutes in Toronto is hilarious. And that game could, was a that game was a crap show. It was, and you could just tell at Malkin after the one the way he just kind of gave the whatever kind of hand. Um, he was over it, but yeah, it, Malkin playing with Pusin, and there is something a little different here. He's waking up a little bit. Um, Pusin said after the game that he's starting to, you know, aside from learn the English language still. Um, really beginning to read and get used to playing alongside of Kenny Malkin. This is a nice little combination here. I have to go back. I asked him if I asked him if he feels like he's earning a role um, in the NHL. I have to kind of go back and decipher what he said because, again, that English is still – it's growing. It's mm-hmm. He's 24. He doesn't need to know English, but no. um, he's getting there. But it's, uh, it's really interesting to see where things go for him from here because he's definitely growing into um, – very solid player. He's, he doesn't need the size. He's got great speed. He's got incredible forecheck. And I mean, that shot's going to wake up eventually. He's mm-hmm. getting his opportunities. He's, he's getting his chances. I mean, there were a couple of opportunities last night where he could have put up, found the back end of that three or four times. Yeah. yeah uh, there were some good up. chances there. Most of some of them on the power play, some of them on five on five. And, um, He's he looks like an NHL player out there. You know, sometimes you look at certain guys that uh, might have more size and might have more expectations, considering Pusa was a seventh round pick, and they just don't look it. I mean, Redeem's a Horner right now just doesn't look it, right? But uh, Pusa's coming in, 
playing on the second line. Sure, he's getting far more opportunity playing on A, the second line, B, the first power play unit, C, with Evgeny Malkin. He's playing in these perfect opportunities that mm-hmm. me and you could probably look decent enough in. Uh, sure. But he, <laughs> but I appreciate he has, that, but, you know. You get what I'm saying, though, where yeah. it's, it's, he's getting the golden opportunities, whereas, you know, Redeems of Horn is stuck on the third, fourth line. But that being said, Pustin looks confident. He looks comfortable. He mm-hmm. looks like he's deserving of the spot here. I don't know if he's, if you can label it, stamp it, pop NHL player yet. Yeah. Uh, give it, give it until after Christmas, maybe. At we least. got two games before then. And maybe even a couple games after, just because it's still young, still need to grow in. But he looks like he's there. He looks like he's just about there. Yeah, I love that you said confidence. And that's the yeah. biggest thing that I've noticed as, you know, the games have progressed. Even that game in Toronto where while it was a circus and the Penguins just abandoned the defensive zone, I thought in the offensive zone, he looked pretty confident. He had a season high and career high five shots on goal against the Toronto Maple Leafs. And that's the one thing that I've noticed in his games in general as time has gone on. He had one shot on goal in his first two games when he came back up to the NHL level this year. Since then, he's had three, five, and three in his last three games. He's taking more opportunities. He's deferring less to those star players like he did last night, but at the end of the day, that was the perfect play to make to Evgeny Malkin, and deferring in the right moment versus deferring just to defer to that star player is the difference that some of these young players need to get through their head, and it seems like he's gotten that pretty quickly, at least to this point. Now, like you mentioned, you asked him, does he feel like he's earning a regular spot in the NHL? Um, he's probably going to give a political answer. I just got to keep working, you know, but at the same time, we don't have to give political answers. So let me ask you this, Horwat. Do you feel that he has solidified a spot in the Penguins lineup? If if we had to come to make the decision right now, let's say everyone's returning to health today. Yes. Uh, I mean, well, I think he's better than Redeem Zahorn and Jansen Harkins, so... It seems like the answer would be yes, mm-hmm. um, just by fact of he's better than those two options. Um, overall, I would say he needs two, to, like I said, two to three more games to really get into that mindset and let it be a regular thing. But I mean, so far so good. I would say at this moment, no, just because again he needs those two or three games. Like I said, if everyone's returning to health today, um, you ask me next week, I'm probably gonna say yes though. Yeah, I would say right now, in that instance where you said if everybody comes back to health, is he in the lineup tonight if they have a game? Yes, he's in the lineup tonight because you're still riding the hot hand. The guy's coming off the best game of his professional career at the NHL level. Now, again, that's only six games, but still, two assists, two impressive assists last night against the Minnesota Wild, and he just looked good in general. Yeah, I'm riding the hot hand, but I think I'm on the same wavelength as you is that, you know, we've seen what happened to Redeem Zahorna. Solid performance through the first couple of weeks. He's fallen flat for the past three or four weeks. That same thing could happen to Pustinen, right? You're playing at the highest level of hockey you've ever played at, and eventually, when you play that level day in, day out, week in, week out, three, four games a week, it starts to catch up to you. You hit that proverbial rookie wall at some point. Mm -hmm. Can you continue to perform well, especially when there's tape out there? Now guys know what your tendencies are. They know what to try to take away from you. Can you push through that, continue to perform well while that is still happening? That's what I want to see before I label this guy a full-time NHLer. Just simply because that's what you do with basically every player at this point. Like everybody kind of had the same inclination to say that about Redeem Zahorna. Like, oh, look at the third line, look how good it is. It's cause Redeem Zahorna came up. I would argue it's equal parts because Redeem Zahorna came up and because Jansen Harkins was playing so putrid in the first four games. But you look at what's happened since then. Zahorna, both of us, if 
if the team was fully healthy, we would take Redeem Zahorna and probably send him to the AHL yeah. to, to regain his footing. Mm-hmm. So you don't want that same thing to happen to Valtteri Pustin. You don't, I don't want to come out here and say that he is this guy because the same thing could happen with him and that happened to Redeem Zahorna. Now, with that said, I do think, one, Valtteri Pustin is much younger than Redeem Zahorna. Two, I think he is much more talented. And three... I think he thinks the game at a much higher level. That's not to say Redeem Zahorna doesn't think the game at a high level, but when I watched Valtteri Pustin in play, and I said this to friend of the show and host of Locked On Penguins, Hunter Hodes, I said he thinks the game almost like Jake Gensel. Watch the way that he's able to find those soft spots and kind of disappear from the play and then reemerge in a scoring opportunity. The way that he's able to do that, and he doesn't do it as often as Gensel did when he first came into the NHL, but he does have that little tiny sense of, I know where to go with my size to get an opportunity to score a goal. He's able to do that. I think he's done that a little bit less than Gensel, like I mentioned, but I think he has that potential to be a top six winger at the NHL level, whereas I don't think Redeem Zorhana ever truly has that. No, not at all. And Mike Sullivan can see that in Pusina too. He said, mm-hmm. you know, he said in his post game yesterday that he's a smart player and he's willing to continue to learn. He's already smart and is willing to get smarter. And that's what you know, the Penguins are super excited about with Pusina. And that's what we should all be excited about. This kid wants to continue learning the game. He wants to continue getting better at the NHL level. I mean, it's. And he's getting there. He's getting there step by step, day by day. Like Sullivan said, he's getting better with each game that passes. Um, he wasn't asked, so he didn't really say if he's earning an NHL role. Mm-hmm. Um, I would love to know his. Uh, I would love to know Sullivan's thoughts on, you know, how close he could be to that. If, of course, you're going to get a much more political answer from Sullivan <laughs> than you will Pusin it. But it putting planting that seed in his head though, and seeing where this coaching staff thinks he lands is uh that's gonna be something to keep an eye on because again what have we seen from call-ups the last couple seasons too they're always third line roles they're always fourth line roles jonathan gruden was sheltered to five minutes a game last year in three games and then healthy scratched alex nylander for a time was in the top six but then was healthy scratch healthy scratch on the road back and forth across the state they're giving Pustin a much bigger push than they've given most of their recent recalls mm-hmm that's another big reason why he's performing the way he is, that he's been given that opportunity. Mm-hmm. It's the same. It's not the same reason, but it's kind of why, you know, Kale Granlin's doing really well in San Jose. He's getting the opportunities. Not that, not that Granlin was not getting opportunities here. He was, he just wasn't good here. Things just weren't working. That's just how it worked out. Mm-hmm. But when you give guys more opportunity, more chances to perform, more than likely they're going to do it. And that's, you know, Pusinen's getting that opportunity and he's taking full advantage of it. Yeah. Let's finish this conversation with this. We both said we're not entirely sold on him being an everyday NHLer at this point. Obviously love what he's he's ha- he's done to this point. And, and we said, you know, right now he's the hot hand. First five games, he's looked terrific. He's obviously done great things for the Penguins power play because since he joined it, they've scored multiple goals in three of the last four games. The one thing I want to ask you, Horwat, though, is what do you need to see from him to solidify that role. Because in my eyes, it's not a, it's not an improvement of performance. It's a consistency of performance. If he can play the way that he has for another week, two weeks, three weeks, then I'm looking at this guy saying, okay, he shouldn't touch waivers. He shouldn't, he shouldn't go back down to the AHL at this, at this point. The other thing I want to see from him is 
if Brian Rust comes back. We don't know the extent or, or how long he's going to be out. He's still labeled week to week. If Brian Rust comes back and they decide, okay, we're going to put Pustin on that third line with Eller and O'Connor, does he have the same effect on that line as he does on the Malkin line? He's not going to produce at the same level, but does he have the same effect on that line where he brings the offense to the level that he has on the second line? That's what I want to see because if you have another guy that right now is not you know fully formed enough to be able to help carry a line, which it's not against him. He's a seventh-round pick. He's 24 years old. But if he's not that player, then you're not going to sit there and say, he's 100% guaranteed to have a lineup spot because we just can't take him out of the lineup. I think part of this is also, you know, what the Penguins lineup looks like and some of their depth options, but I just want to see him continue to perform the way he has and be able to do that over an extended period of time. I don't need to see much more, you know, obviously I'd like to see him score goals, but I don't need yeah. to see much more from him in terms of elevating his performance. Yeah, I think the goal is an easy one. Just pop yeah. that first one. Things will kind of go from there. Um, other than that, I, yeah, it doesn't need to prove too much else. Maybe just find, make sure this is a consistent thing. And if, let's say he is still in this lineup, whenever Brian Russ comes back, can he do the same thing on the third line with lesser yeah. opportunity? Can this sustain? That'll be huge because I will stand on this. Th- this depth needs scoring. This depth yeah. needs someone who can do something down there. It, defense is great in your depth, but geez, you need a goal. Um, or if, Let's say he stays on that second line because that chemistry with Malkin is there. Maybe Brian Rust comes back, takes over on the first line, or the third, but then Raquel goes to the third line. See what happens. Because, again, we don't know if Raquel is going to actually find his game again. We still don't know that even. Um, Maybe Raquel's a better option for the third line with lesser opportunity, maybe shifting his mindset a little, or being that scoring pop for the depth. Mm -hmm. Um, There are no wrong ways to look at uh, Valtteri Pustin in here, no matter where he falls. So, I think, yeah, I'd say the only thing he really needs to do is pot one or two and remain consistent. Yeah, the only other variable in this one is a name that we kind of stopped mentioning, but he's still around in Pittsburgh. Uh, Yesapul Yarvi is still around the Pittsburgh Penguins. Oh, yeah. Mike Sullivan updated him, uh, whether it was yesterday or the day before, saying that he is primarily taken to off-ice workouts as he continues to rehab from that de- double hip surgery. So he's still in Pittsburgh. The Penguins have yet to make a decision on whether or not they're giving him a full NHL contract for the season. Still technically in here on a free agent tryout. So that's another variable that eventually will play into this, but uh, not many updates from the Pittsburgh Penguins surrounding him has also not you know, got back on the ice. Uh, we'll have to wait and see if he does in the coming weeks. But uh, we're, did you have something to say about uh, today's the 10th day of that? Today is ten, day 10. It's on him to pay his way around now. Yeah. Of course, it helps that the roster freeze is coming up. The Christmas break is right around the corner. So there's three days. He can just kind of be on his own anyway. Um, it, I, I'm really, I didn't think, I don't know if I th- assumed he'd be on the ice more. I'm really interested to see where the, Puyarvi thing goes. Uh, I I think I expected him to be to be seen on the ice a little more than he has. I know he's coming back from double hip surgery, but I mean, he was skating and cleared for contact training uh, just before he was brought in. So I'm just really curious to see where that goes. I forgot. Mm-hmm. You're right. I forgot he was around. Um, and I still do think he could be a valuable option, especially for this Penguins depth. Uh, but. Well, now that's going to be another logjam to worry about. But for now, it's uh, yeah, it's cur- It's a curious case all of a sudden that we're on that tenth day. We'll see. We will see where things go. 
Yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, if you have to bump somebody over to the left side and that somebody would probably end up being Brian Russ, because I think he's moved from left to right multiple times in his career, not to mention the fact that he's probably the best equipped to move from left to right when it comes to that. I mean, maybe Raquel as well. But at the same time, if you do that, that's good for the Pittsburgh Penguins, because at the end of the day, all of those options are better than, you know, a Redeem Zahorna or a Jansen Harkins. I mean, we don't know. We don't know. I shouldn't say that because we don't know what Yesapul Yarvi looks like post double hip surgery. He's only been on the ice, I think, twice with the Pittsburgh Penguins when it comes to their full team practices. Who knows if he skated at all when they went on their their road trip? We'll have to obviously wait and see and wait for updates on that. But the latest update is that he's continuing to train off ice with the Pittsburgh Penguins organization as he continues to try to come back from that double hip surgery that he had back in, I believe it was June. So uh, we'll wait and see for an update on that one. But we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, very simple question, not so simple answer. Have the Pittsburgh Penguins turned a corner on the 2023-24 season? We'll answer just that right after the break. Welcome back to the Tip of the Iceberg podcast, brought to you as always by InsideThePenguins.com. The big question, obviously, now is, you know, the Penguins have won three of their last four games. They're kind of stacking some good performances. They're still not winning impressively. They did have that 7 to nothing loss to Toronto on Saturday. But have they turned a corner because... Listen, when you say they've won three of their last four games by hook or by crook, they don't count how, they count how many. Like you always like to say, Horwat, and like everybody likes to always say, I guess. Uh, I heard that on Shorzy last week, and I was like, yeah, yeah, that's a, that's." they took that from Nick Horwat. It's uh, a common phrase. It's it, okay. It is. It, you know, like, it's like 20 miles for 20 smiles and stuff like that at the end of the second intermission. So it, we like to obviously say similar stuff that the, the entire NHL likes to say. Um Everybody loves their their by-the-book stuff, like you mentioned earlier, with the uh, hard-to-play-against. You know, Mike Sullivan pulled that one from obscurity, definitely. Uh, but, like I mentioned, the big question is, have they turned a corner? I think they're far from a complete team, but you've seen them start to put some of the pieces together in the last week that if they can build on that and stack wins, like everybody seems to like to say this year. That's, that's the term this year in Pittsburgh sports because Mike Tomlin has said it. They have not done it. Uh, Mike Sullivan has said it. They have struggled to do it this season. Kyle Dubas has also mentioned it a couple times in his press conferences. Can they stack wins? Uh, we'll obviously see if they're able to do it after that win last night against the Minnesota Wild, but have they turned a corner is the more important question here, Horwat. It is the more important question. And I mean, through the month of December, we're kind of getting toward the end of it. Because, um, yeah, we're going to want to talk about the last four, which is you know three and one with that one loss being an absolutely tough one um, and an embarrassing one for a Kyle Dubas return. I think I'm sure the Toronto media is taking that like real normal people. <laughs> um, but with that being said, you in my eyes, we have to take it back to the entire month of December coming out of some interesting end of November uh situations the power play was struggling but yet they were still finding ways to collect points they started december with two straight overtime losses so they were not winning but collecting those points before dropping two more straight um and then winning two in a row so suddenly you're looking at a two two and two to start the month then that loss now you're looking at still kind of 500 three three and two um it'll be very interesting to see where things go from here like i said before that 
seven nothing loss is embarrassing. That's the kind of loss that um, a humbles you, but also b forces decisions. Right? It's had Mike Sullivan not, you know, if Mike Sullivan didn't have this contract that hasn't kicked in yet. We're having a completely different discussion of hey, is it is it time? Um, but we're not. He's still around. Kyle Dubas not not only is Kyle Dubas laid his flag into Mike Sullivan as well uh, in that press conference saying he's the right guy for the job in the near and the far future. Yeah. And I think a lot of us agree. A lot of us also just want to see things turn around. Mm-hmm. Um, we will see where things go from there. Uh, overall, as for as for turning the corner, it seems like it's close. It does. I thought things felt close. You know, after that win against Tampa Bay, uh, when Jari scored a goal, things felt close then. So maybe, I mean, a four-game losing streak popped off after that. But maybe things are kind of getting there. You got to collect the points the right way. I mentioned to you that Bob Grove tweet where they need to go 33-18-5 and five to, to hit at least 96 points, uh, which is the average to make the playoffs in the East in the last eight full seasons. 3-1-0 and since then. So there's the momentum being put in the right direction. I'd say they're not yet fully there. They got a tough schedule coming up against important teams within the division. Um, but I think that's getting close. They're a couple steps away. Like Nolachari said, the power play needed one shot. Mm-hmm. And next thing you know, there they go. They got their one shot. Now they've scored six and four. And not only that, it, the power play was a difference maker in the wrong way a few weeks ago. And now that power play goal from Sidney Crosby is the reason why they won against Minnesota in regulation. Yep. So suddenly, it's helping the team win. It's making a difference in a positive way. Mm-hmm. I would say they're close. I really would. I don't know what else it's gonna take. The defense is still a little, still a little rocky. I want to see what I want to see what this fully healthy lineup can do, and I want to see if certain trades can be made to wake wake something else up and really put things over the top. The analytical numbers have been great all season. Mm-hmm. The goaltending has been a revelation almost. Mm-hmm. I don't know what else it's going to take. The power play is waking up. The penalty kill should be getting better with the Chari back in the lineup. What's what's left here? It's all kind of rolling. The depth, maybe. I'll tell you what's left. Scoring. Uh, at the yeah. end of the day, scoring goals is, is what's left. They still need better, you know, I think they need more goal scorers. And at the end of the day, that's something that Kyle Dubas is going to have to address, bring in a little bit more goal scoring talent. I understand that the process is, is of vast importance to Mike Sullivan, but the process right now has them as one of the lowest goal-scoring teams in the National Hockey League. And if you look at the last week, the last four games, where they've won three of their last four games, it is because of the power play. So if the power play didn't get going, probably would have lost four more games here. Mm-hmm. Because you look at that game, you, you mentioned it last night, Sidney Crosby scores. That ends up being the game winner. That was the second power play goal of the game. You look back to Montreal. They were down 3-1. to one. How did they get back into that game to tie it at 3? Two power play goals. You look at the game against Arizona. Game winner was what? A Jeff Carter power play goal. So right now, yes, the power play is clicking on all the cylinders. It's good. They need that. They absolutely need that. The 5-on-5 five five scoring has dried up a bit. And at the <laughs> end of the day, at the end of the day, it's not like that was clicking on all cylinders to begin with. It was the first line, the second line when it can, the second line pitched in from time to time, and then, you know, every once in a while, you'd see, oh, there's a couple good games from the third line, goal or two. There's a couple good games from the fourth line, goal or two. You need something a little bit more consistent when it comes to depth, when it comes to scoring in general, um, other than that first line, and I think that's the biggest thing for me is that, yes, they're doing a lot of the right things. 
Power play is great right now. Penalty kill looked much better last night. Let's see if they can build on it. Uh, you mentioned all of this. Goaltending has been great this year. You have these pieces. Can you put it all together and start to fix some of your woes? They're starting to do that with the power play. Can they continue to do that in these other areas? Can they improve in these other areas? Because at the end of the day, the best they've played this year is probably still a wild card team. And that's that's a tough place to be when there are a lot of teams at that level. So they need to continue to improve as the season goes on because at their best right now, there's still a team that is right around about five or six other teams in the same spot in the Eastern Conference. Here's the biggest test to me on whether or not they've turned the corner at the moment. Three out of four is good. Three out of four is nice. That seven to nothing loss is what it is. I said on Saturday, I've said multiple times, Josh Getzoff, friend of the show, said it on the broadcast last night for Sportsnet Pittsburgh. He crumbled up a piece of paper and said, this is the game from Saturday. Throw it out the window. That's what you have to do, because at the end of the day, it's one game. You lost out on two standings points, just like you would have lost out on two standings points if you would have lost one to nothing. So you leave that at the door. They've still won three of their last four. Here's the test to me, like I said. You got five games left this month. Can you produce a winning record in those five games? Three and two might not look impressive on paper when you're initially thinking of it, but three and two against... Three teams that the Pittsburgh Penguins over the last two seasons have struggled to perform well against. That's when you know whether or not they've turned a corner performance-wise. Four of the next five games, they play the Isles, Sens, and Canes. Two of them against the New York Islanders. They're 0-2 against those teams this season with a loss to the Canes and a loss to the Sens. Last year, they were a combined 1-6-4 against those teams. That is putrid. 11 games played, you had one win. Can they produce a winning record in these games? That's what tells me whether or not they've turned a corner, especially with that big, you know, delineation line of January 1st coming up. Yeah. Yeah. I thought you had more to that. No, sorry. Uh, <laughs> no, you're good. It's, and seed. That's good. Those are going to, those are going to be the tests. Carolina, they haven't beat since what? 2022. 2021. Yep. 22. It was a uh, March 13th, 2022. I looked it up last night. That's right, you did. That's why I had that in my head. Yeah. Uh, and and then the Islanders, who they have had struggled with before, but have also been able to defeat and be better than. Mm -hmm. um, I thought I had something on this. I do. It's going to be fun to see. And I tell you what, to really turn the corner, I mentioned some trades will need to be made, I think. I do think some trades will need to be made to step this team in the right direction. And like we mentioned already, that... That depth logjam of or that logjam of depth defenseman, someone is easily movable there. There's a couple of names really, especially if you consider six NHL valuable <laughs> AHL performers right now. Mm -hmm. In my eyes, and this is gonna I've told you this on multiple occasions, I forget if I've said it into a recorded microphone. Uh Ricard Raquel's not on this team fully rolling. Gonna be honest with you. In my eyes. The way he A, the way he's performed this year, like we said, it's great to have him back on the ice and pushing people around the lineup and getting back in that momentum. If that finishing ability doesn't roll around, like you said, what teams are available for you? And I think Ricard Raquel not being here, that's because this team needs a scoring third-line center. Not saying to lose Lars Eller either. Bump him to four, move a charge to the wing. Now you're rolling with gas. Mm -hmm. A new third-line center that can play a full 200-foot game, but actually... Um, feels like more of an offensive threat than Lars Eller does. Well, I'll be interested to see where things go from there. I'm just kind of planting some seeds for everyone to think about that. 
for Carter Kell. Plus that contract, man. That contract. It was fine when we signed when uh, Hextall signed it. Mm-hmm. It was fine, but we knew. We all knew that was long, man. That was long. Well, and here's the thing about that contract. I don't want to. I don't want to dive too deep into it, but here's the thing about that contract. He signed that contract. Well, Brian Russ signed first, right? Yep. And we said that closes the door on Ricard Raquel because that's probably the, the contract that you would have seen Ricard Raquel sign. Yep. And instead, Hextall said, "You know what? No, we're signing Raquel to the same thing. We're going to give him, you know, clauses as well." And you're like, "Well, you're hitching your wagons to two guys that, while very talented, have been known to fall into the background." From time to time. And we saw it last year a little bit with Brian Russ. He still scored 20 goals. While Ricardo Kell scored 28 and was one of the best scorers for the Penguins. And now this year, it's flip-flopped. So mm-hmm. you hitched your wagon to two different guys that do the same thing. And they've done the same thing offset. So, uh, you know, I don't I don't know particularly what the market for Ricardo Kell would be. I'm not sure. I don't think that they're looking to trade him as of right now. I think they're looking to see what he looks like now coming out of this injury. But I will say one thing before we go here. Anthony Duclair was a healthy scratch last night. <laughs> well, now you just never know. Yeah, we might have to get over to Max Miller from the Hockey News. He wrote an article yesterday about, you know, potential trade targets, you know, potential fits for Anthony Duclair. Penguins were not on that list. It was the Rangers, the Bruins, and somebody else, I think, was in the Western Conference. But I can't remember off the top of my head. But, hey, you know, the Duke seems like he's available. You never know. And another thing, too, is if you listen to a lot of podcasts out there right now, it's they're all prepping for doomsday here in Pittsburgh. They are. They're discussing the idea of, yeah. I mean, take it, take it for what you will from where your sources are, but a lot of discussion has popped up about if the Penguins don't turn things around like by the All-Star break like Kyle Dubas wanted. Jake Cancel still doesn't have a contract. That's suddenly a movable deal for a rental piece for somebody. Um. Jake Gensel and Brian Rust appeared in another hockey news. Uh, I think it was the Rangers writer whose name's escaped me, not Lazarus. I oh. hate that I forgot his name. Um, appeared in his trade targets uh, piece. Well, both Gensel and Rust. Uh, he, did, then he, he must not. Have, he must have missed the fact that Rust has a uh, has a full no move clause right now. It is what it is. <laughs> but um, always check the are, clauses, people. Yeah, but and for what it's worth, here's where the big eyeballs are going to get drawn to. Uh, everyone has started to have the discussion of when does the time come? And by when, we mean the core. When does the time come of, all right, time to sell off Latang, time to sell off Malkin. Crosby's the hard one because he probably won't ever want to leave anyway, but that option has been floated out by a couple of people now. So eh. people are prepping for doomsday in Pittsburgh. The I'm whole- not do- we're, we're not doing that yet. Mm-hmm. Me and you were not doing that yet. No. We're putting it on the back burner for now, though. It is there. It is that option because Doomsday could arrive. Well, that was ominous. Um, You're welcome. Merry well, Christmas, everybody. The, the, yeah, Merry Merry Christmas, you filthy animals. No, uh, with the Crosby thing, it, it once until I see somebody outside of the Toronto market say it, I'm just going to continue course. to think it's just people from Toronto and their delusions. Um, as far as the entire core, that's far off in my eyes. There, you don't. I don't think that discussion comes about at all this season. Right, it wasn't necessarily even selling him off this year. It was maybe one Just goes that eventually, maybe yeah. another win, yeah. Um, but hey, all I'm all I'm saying is the people are prepping for yeah. the worst here. 
Everybody's planning the Penguins' demise because the Penguins are one of the most disliked franchises because they've had the most success over the past 15 to 20 years. Like, that's just what happens. People did the same thing with the Chicago Blackhawks. They did the same thing in the mid-2010s with the Los Angeles Kings. People don't like when teams are consistently good. So they start to plan the demise. They start to try to see little, you know, marks in the armor and say, you know what? This is it. This is the end for them because eventually it will be. And if you say it enough times, you can say you're going to be right. But if you say it 50 times and then you try to say that you were right when it eventually happens, you're just an idiot. So uh, we'll see what ends up happening. But I I don't think anybody with a brain is planning doomsday uh, in Pittsburgh because I think that you'll look at what the core still has and you say, all right, eventually you could still potentially get a good team around them. This is not the team around them that they need, uh, but there's still a chance. There's still the small pieces on this team that if you can bring it together, we've seen it at times this season, if you can bring it together, they can perform well even against some of the best teams in the National Hockey League. They have wins over some of the best teams in the National Hockey League this season. And wins that were pretty dominant. Let's not forget the wins over the Vegas Golden Knights and the Colorado Avalanche. And that first victory over the Toronto Maple Leafs. So, uh, yeah. I do think that this is still a very good team when it wants to be. I do think it needs to find that consistency, though. Like, that's the biggest thing. Is mm-hmm. They can also be a very bad team when they want to be. And that's the problem. Because the highs are very high. The lows are very low. You need to find a middle ground somewhere. Um, but... Unless you have anything else, Ward, I'll, I'll, you'll, you ended on the very doomsday note. If you want to leave the fans with a little bit better, fans, the listeners with a little bit of a better taste in their mouth, I'll give you the floor here. If not, we can just say, hey, we'll be back Thursday, and uh, doomsday is somewhere. Where doomsday, it is, we don't know. We, we never know, actually. And for what it's worth, yeah, the, the positive light is Sidney Crosby's still on an incredible pace. I made the tweet before, I'm not a betting man, but hey, if... If you were to throw money around on those apps, Sidney Crosby's got some really long odds to win the heart, yeah. and the people that vote on the heart are riding Sidney Crosby right now. I'm going to leave it at that for you. Yeah, that's very true. I mean, it, Connor it, McDavid is also doing incredible things, so, you know, yeah, it'll co- be a tough one. But Coaching change did some good things in Edmonton. Coaching change also did some good things in, in Minnesota, which I think is why the, the noise is very, very loud in Pittsburgh. At least yeah. it was very, very loud in Pittsburgh, uh, at least up till last Monday, whenever the general manager and president said, very long time into the future, uh, Mike Sullivan will be the guy. So we'll see what happens. Obviously, great to have them get that victory last night to bounce back. I think that was more important than anything else that you could have seen after that 7-0 loss was them bounce back with a victory, regardless of how it happened, regardless of the blown three-goal lead. It's good to see them get two points, two clean points against the Minnesota Wild. But that's going to do it for this episode of the Tip of the Iceberg podcast. We'll see you guys next time.